General epistles. General epistles. Why do we call it the general? Anyone know why we call it the general epistles? I'm sorry? As opposed to like the pastoral epistles or the Pauline epistles or the they're general epistles because they don't have a specific audience. Or the audience is somewhat broad. Like we know James was written probably to the church in Jerusalem because that's where he was pastoring at. But it's a really broad, it's written to everybody kind of book. Um, they're also called the Catholic epistles, not because they're like Catholic church epistles, but Catholic means universal. That's what the term Catholic means. Letter. You weren't here for when we discussed that. Letter. Epistle means letter. We've just missed a few weeks. <laughs> uh, so, yes, so the universal letters. Um, for everyone, not written for a specific group. Uh, but it does not refer to the Roman Catholic Church because that was the Roman Universal Church. That's where the Roman Catholic Church comes from, Roman Universal Church. Um, so we call it a Catholic epistle, universal for everyone. These uh, epistles, there are eight books of our New Testament that we call the general or Catholic epistles, letters. Starting with the book of Hebrews, and then James, the Johns, 1st and 2nd Peter, and Jude. We're almost towards the end of the Bible. Notice this ends before we get to the last book of the Bible, which is not a general epistle. That's an op- uh, 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 apocalyptic letter. Apocalyptic letter. Um, meaning hidden, revealing hidden things, not not like end of the world necessarily. Though a lot of people believe that. Um, so let's turn to the first book on that list: Hebrews. All right, it begins, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets in many times, in many various ways, but in the last days, he spoke to us by his son, who he appointed heir in all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God, God's glory and the exact representation of his beginning substance to uh, sustaining all things by a powerful word. After he has provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven, so he became much superior to the angels as, as the name he has inherited is the supreme to theirs. Notice what this does not have in this introduction. Who wrote it? Who it's to? We don't have any of that. Who he's talking to? We don't have uh, who he's talking to. We don't who who wrote it. Uh, a lot of people actually, until recent, well, recently, that's a. Um, we don't actually know who wrote the book of Hebrews. 
it does have Pauline ideas in the book. So some people have accredited it to Paul. Uh, we already started this discussion a little bit. We talked about how one of our members here, he said he was a strong believer that it was Paul who wrote it. Um, it's at least someone who knew Paul. Because they have a lot of the same ideas, kind of the same things. Um, we know that the letter closes with the words, Grace be with you all, which is the same closing found in each of Paul's known letters. Um, you can see Romans 16.20, 1 Corinthians 16.23, 2 Corinthians 13.14, Galatians 6.18, Ephesians 6.14, Philippians 4.23, Colossians uh, and I, I can list all of them, but it's all the same ending. Uh, but also that Peter used very similar, if not identical, closings. Uh, so it could be just customary to close it with this letter. Grace be with you all. Um, the book of Hebrews quotes extensively from the Old Testament. Which is one of the reasons it's so fun, because it like quotes all over the Old Testament. And if you want to go have a fun exercise in cross-referencing, or remember what we called it at the beginning when we talked Old Testament, hyperlinking. You want to have a good uh, experience with hyperlinking? Go and reference all the different places Hebrews goes back to the Old Testament. They're everywhere. It's all over the place. Like every other verse. Sometimes the same verse goes multiple times, multiple verses. So it's, it's a lot of fun. But um, Paul, as a Pharisee, would have been familiar with the scriptures in its original Hebrew language. Um, in other letters, Paul either quotes from the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew or paraphrase it. However, all the quotes in this book are taken from the Septuagint. Who remembers what the Septuagint was? Yep. It was translated to Greek. That's all we need. That's, that's the important part. It was the Greek translation of the Bible. All the quotes from here in Hebrew was taken from the Greek version. So that's a strong argument against Pauline argument because he would have read it in the Hebrew. Every Every other book of the Bible, he quotes from the Hebrew. Why switch to the Greek version now? Maybe it's just the scribe he's using. Or it's not Paul. Um, in Hebrews 2, 3, I'm going to read this for you. How shall we escape if we ignore, salva- ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was Lord's announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also, okay, I must have wrote down the wrong verse. Okay, um, 
Okay, yeah, it says, it was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him, which signifies perhaps that this is someone who has been apostled by someone who heard. Perhaps. A lot of people think that it was someone that was taught by an apostle. Now, if you remember, Paul always claims that he got his revelation directly from Jesus Christ. Now, it is possible that this was actually a sermon of Paul that was transcribed later by someone like Luke. It does have a lot of Luke-sounding words in it. And Luke does use the Septuagint when he quotes from the Bible. Um, <clears throat> some people say it was Barabbas, since he was a Levite and would be speaking on the subject that he knew much. Um, Martin Luther, not King, Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation, he suggested that Apollos, the disciple of Paul, he would have had the education needed and the, been the apostle of Paul to write this letter. I had a college professor that that was, he, he 100% believed it was Apollos. Um, some scholars, and this is, I've read a lot of books, some scholars suggested in Priscilla or Clement of Rome as writing we haven't met Clement of Rome yet. That's later on when we talk about Rome church history. Um, but you've met Priscilla already. She was one of those ladies that became very instrumental in the church under Paul. Um, all we can say is we don't know. And, and maybe it doesn't matter who wrote it. You know, it, it belongs in the Bible. And... Uh, and we do know that. Um, we can guess as to who it's a to. All we can say is it's a Jewish Christian audience. There's very, I mean, because it quotes so much from the Old Testament, we can assume that it was a Jewish audience who had become Christians or become Messianic because they're using the Old Testament so much to prove the points. If it was just a Gentile group, they probably wouldn't have used the Old Testament quite as much to prove their point. Look at like uh, some of the other, other epistles where they're speaking more to the Gentiles. They don't quote so much from the, the Old Testament. Uh, the title to the Hebrews, um, which it does appear in the earliest known copy of the epistle, is not part of the original manuscript. That's not, you know, they didn't title their works like that when they first wrote them. That was something that developed later on. Um, when it was, uh, um, you know, in scroll form, it's, you just titled it by whatever the first word was. You know, like Bereshit. That's Genesis because it's the first word on the page. So when you unrolled it, you're like, okay, just that's that one, this, this one. When it started forming the Philo format, they started, they started giving them different titles, and eventually they developed, but uh, the original manuscript doesn't seem to have 
because we have, uh, um, anyways, it doesn't seem to be part of the original things to the Hebrews. Um, so there is no salutation. It simply begins with assertion that Jesus, is the Son of God, and appeared to atone for our sins, is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Um, so we assume, and it does assume that the Old Testament is known already. So when you read this, you've got to know your Old Testament to make sense of it. I mean, you can read it on a basic level, right? Everyone can read it on a basic level and see some, some very wonderful things in it. But if you really want to understand it, you've got to know all those hyperlinks. Because it's written assuming that you know at least most of them. It's just an assumption. I mean, we'll get to chapter 11 here in a little bit. I mean, just think about all the different people that are listed in chapter 11. It assumes you know all those stories already. I use chapter 11 because that's like the most classic. Everyone knows chapter 11. <laughs> um, but here's the outline. Uh, the superiority of Christian faith. Exhortation to preserve the Christian faith, in the Christian faith. Uh, remember, this is probably during a time of persecution. Survive. Stay true. Concluding exhortations and benediction and greetings. As you look through it, and I'm not going to read all of it for you guys, but as you read through it, the real main aims of the book of Hebrews is to remind the readers of the greatness of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is superior to the prophets, angels, Moses, Aaron, no one compares to Christ. And uh, the readers need to reaffirm their courageous Christianity. Their Christian faith. God is faithful to his promises. Believers can have confidence in troubled times. Remember, this is probably written during a time of persecution. Stay true. Uh, in troubled times. Of course, we could also say this. We must stay true when no one else believes as well. I know right now it seems like no one believes, especially the younger generations. And it's not that they don't want to believe. It's just that the large body of believers, the church, has hurt so many of them. And I'm not saying it's your fault or your fault. The church has issues. I mean, right now the Southern Baptist Convention is being sued because so many of the leaders hid sexual assaults for so many years. Similar to what happened in the Catholic Church. But that was with pedophilia. Uh, this is sexual assaults um, and child molestation. And, but it's, it's not something that any denomination is free of. Um, actually, I heard a, a read a report from another denomination that they're trying to open up the same kind of thing that the Southern Baptists just went through at their denomination. Because, you know, so many young people have been hurt by these things. And so they 
why should they trust the church? And so these kind of things lead to decline of uh, not just attendance, but believers. They want to believe. They just don't know if they can. And uh, so, and, and so we can say the same kind of things. We need to reaffirm our courageous faith. That even though the church has been corrupted by people that don't need to be here, we stay true. And we stay the salt and the light. And when there's enough salt and enough light, then we make a difference in our world. I was reading an article, or no, listening to a sermon on YouTube. That's where it came from. And he said, this, this guy on YouTube, he said that it takes 5%, just 5% of the population of any group uh, to be Christians to start making a difference in the way the culture of that 5%. And so if we say that there's not, so, it, that, so if we say that they, that if we're not making a difference in our culture, that means there's not five actual believers. Now that passage also goes that, uh, you know, he says once a salt has lost its saltness, they can't retain it. It's once you've lost your credibility, you can't retain it. And I think that's part of the problem with the large churches of Vienna. We've lost our credibility. It's very hard to reclaim, reclaim that. And it may take generations to do so. John, I saw your hand go up. Maybe as low as 3%. May, right, maybe as low as 3%. But uh, right now, the we have less than 1% of Gen Z going to church. Millennials are around 1%. Uh, Gen X, the numbers are mixed. Um, I look around our church, it's the baby boomer generation that's going. <laughs> um, lost our salt, lost our light. And how can we reclaim it? And it may take generations to do so. We have to stay true. And that's one of the things that, that the Bible speaks over and over again. I think Hebrews speaks into that, that idea of the faithful remnant. Now, he doesn't use those terms. That's an Old Testament term. But the faithful remnant, those who remain faithful in the troubled times, those who remain faithful through the troubles, those who remain faithful through the generations, will be blessed because in the end, God will reestablish. And they, nations will turn back to God. And People will turn back to God, and but it, throughout history, we've had times when no one believes. It happened in Israel multiple times. Remember what it says, beginning of Judges, right? In a time when no one believed, everyone did what they wanted. Um, yeah. um, so, anyways. So, warnings to pay attention. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For the message spoken by angels was binding, and for every violation and disobedience receiving its punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation 
which was first announced by Lord was affirmed to those who heard God also testified to its signs and wonders and various miracles and gift of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Um, gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're actually going to be speaking about that fairly soon in our Sunday sermons as we talk about Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at the Romans chapter 12, the seven found in Romans chapter 12. Um, as I'm moving through here, and I'm looking at all these great verses I've got highlighted in, in this passage. Does anyone have any favorite passages in here? The book of Hebrews? Do you guys like the book of Hebrews? You like the whole book? Yeah, it was. I've got all kinds of verses highlighted in here. So many great verses in here. Um, I don't know exactly. I mean, it's but it all follows the same theme, right? Jesus is great. Stay true to Jesus. That's the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is great. Stay true to him. <laughs> um, Jesus is the high priest. Um, Let us approach the throne with grace and confidence. Let me receive mercy and grace and help us in our time of need. And you guys remember that one. That's like on the throw pillow, one of those throw pillow verses, right? (laughs) Um, here's, Here's another one of my favorites. In fact... By this time, you ought to be teachers, and some not to be teaching, uh, uh, some uh, someone to teach you elementary truths of God. Word over again. You need milk, not solid food. If anyone who who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings of righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, and by and by constant. use have trained themselves to be uh, distinguished and good from evil therefore let us uh, leave the elementary teachings about christ and go on to maturity not laying again from the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death about the faith in god instruction about baptism laying on the hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment god permitted we will do so awful If you're still sucking on milk, you're a baby. I often uh, think about this when I think about things like um, those who uh, say things like, well, I go to church to be fed. That's infant talk. That's baby talk. I go to get fed? I, some people may use an expression, but it's still baby talk. <laughs> you're, what you're saying is, I need to be fed. You know what? In the beginning, in the beginning, not And, well, that's, 
that's it. When you become, when you first start out in the Christian walk, yes, you need to be fed. You need to hear someone speak the words. You need someone to teach you, like walk through it every, you know, and the very basic stuff, right? Who's Jesus? What is baptism? These are you know, important questions. Important things that we must teach. But then as you mature, that's right. We need to be asking the deeper questions. And we need to be teaching the younger, those, not even necessarily younger people, but the younger in Christ, those baby questions. And what Jesus says, those who, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus says uh, that, uh, that doing his work is how we are, you know, is, is the bread. It's those who, uh, who do the work. At some point, we don't just come to church, gather together to feed. We come to church together to sharpen iron. Iron sharpens iron. Amen. We come together to serve the Lord. We come together to worship together. So it's not just about, I need to go to church to to be fed. Now you might go to church to feed. You know, put that, that's where I met together with my brothers and we sharpen iron together and I'm feet getting the word in me. That's different. But to be fed? Yeah, that's, that's another, that's one of the other passages. Meat and, meat and uh, verse milk. Uh, when we grow up. And so we need to be and, and I think there's a couple of different things behind this. One, not enough discipleship. So people don't know how to get off the milk and into the meat. So there's not enough discipleship. But there's also a lack of desire. You know, we talk about that millennials don't want to do... It started in the church for before, way before it was a generational thing. Don't want to get off the milk just want to stick with the basics and don't want to start learning and doing the going to the meet and and, and working and doing the because it is a challenge we have to work on this these are things that we have to work on um so uh I don't know. Let's turn to chapter 11. That's like everyone's, like, the chapter they all know, right? Chapter 11. Chapter 11. That's, that's the faith chapter. It's probably the most, uh, most famous chapter in Hebrews is chapter 11. Uh, not that it's even really the best one because there are several great passages in Hebrews but this is probably the most famous um, and it lists over a dozen figures as examples for the Christians to follow in the Old Testament um, I think I made a list yeah I did there it is um, by faith now faith is being sure of what is hoped for and certain of what we do not see. Now I'm going to remind you as we read the word hope, that doesn't mean the same thing we use it now. Like I hope I'm going to get a bike for Christmas. 
It's that word, we would use it more like that word trust. It's the word that I, and my hope is in this, that, that my, uh, my joy is in the trust, that I can trust in this moment. So that's the word hope. Uh, we've kind of changed the meaning of the word hope over the generations. So, um, so it, it, it lists, now, as I read this, by faith. And remember, uh, I said it when we discussed the Old Testament. Um, Old Testament characters are, are mirrors of identity, not models for integrity, right? <laughs> um, they reflect who we are. So they all made mistakes. But, uh, well, except Enoch, you know, he, he was taken up um, and did not experience death. But... Um, but they're all, these are all just human beings, but by faith they live their lives. And, so, and these are all character, very famous characters from the Old Testament. Um, it's... Um, I mean, look at some of these names. Abel, who was killed by his brother. But by faith, he brought his, uh, his sacrifice. Uh, Enoch, who was taken up, never faced death. Uh, Noah, who brought Noah rest to the land uh, after the flood. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, seen as the fathers of the Jew of the, of the Old Testament. Moses, which in the Bible, when you often when you see Moses, he represents the law, the instructions, the old te- what we call the Old Testament. So it's the the Torah. So you often you see Moses and Elijah. That's why they're at at the Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah there because Moses represents the Torah, the instructions, and Elijah represents the prophets. So you have the law and the prophets there. So there you got your whole Old Testament. So Moses is there, Gideon, uh, Rahab is on this list. Now remember, she's um, the one who um, hid the slaves and, and hung out the, the ribbon and was saved. And she's seen as restoration of a group of people. Um, it will be the great-grandmother of, uh, great-great-great, I think, grandmother of David. Uh, anyways, uh, Gideon. Uh, Barak, um, Samson, Japheth, um, Je- uh, David, Samuel. Uh, then he starts like the prophets, and he, t- he says num- numerous unnamed men and women and people of Israel. That's kind of a, uh, an interesting one. Um, just people that we aren't told their names, right? Um, They were all commended for their faith, yet, yet none of them received what has been promised. God has planned something better for us so that only together with, uh, with us would be made perfect.
as we look at this past this book, um, we got to remember in this Jewish realm, the, these people, these new Christian faith, would have to resist the urge from the call to other Jewish people to revert from this apostasy, which is this false belief, and go back to the Jewish faith. They were they were being called back to, so they would have to stay true to what was being they're taught. Um, Throughout history, um, Hebrews has been accused of being anti-Old Testament, um, but it's not. It attacks the false conceptions of faith in God that was in the Old Testament. The idea that God would be appeased by dutiful uh, observance of rituals, you know, that religion without faith. And Hebrews does call out some of the different, so like some of the Old Testament things saying, you know, we need to be true to the Word of God, but it, uh, but it's not anti-Old Testament. Um, and it calls out something, you know, that, that even the book of Isaiah called out some of the same thing, uh, you know, um, being anti-religious uh, without faith. Um, yeah, we have time. Let's go on to James. James has been called the epistle of straw. Uh, anyone want to take a guess as to why it's called the epistle of straw? You're overthinking. Yeah. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> it's called it's, people call it the business straw because Martin Luther didn't like it. That's it. <laughs> um, he viewed it as less than Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. Uh, which makes sense. As we talk about Martin Luther when we get to him in our church history. Uh, Martin Luther's mantra was Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. That was his thing. The just shall live by faith. I mean, and that was in response to what the Roman Catholic Church had been doing. Not officially, but in practice had been doing by, if you don't do this, or selling indulgence. If you don't do that, if you do this, or you can do all this work-based uh, faith, uh, you know, actually, you can buy an, an indulgence, which is you can buy a sin. And if you have you have this indulgence, you get away with it because you gave money to the church. And it was a great moneymaker. That was a good fundraiser for the church. Um, <laughs> they made a lot of money. But, um, but he was, you know, the just shall live by faith. And, uh, and that was his thing. That's actually the passage Romans one uh, seventeen was the passage that sent him on his quest. Uh, anyways, if you've never read bo- uh, a biography of Martin Luther, it's a one they're a wonderful story. I recommend Here I Stand. Um, great, great book. Um, but James, what's its emphasis? Works. Good works. 
to the point where some say that James contradicts Paul. Faith statement. It doesn't, but some see it that way, including Martin Luther. He actually didn't want um, James as part of the Bible. He fought to get it removed. He's not the only one, by the way. People saw it as a contradiction. However, when we look at James in its own context, not just taking sections of it, but in the letter, got to remember, it's a letter in its own context. James is speaking of true faith, a true faith that produces works. And it isn't, it isn't the idea of, of once saved, always saved, so live like hell. That's not what James is preaching. Uh, that's not what, uh, what Martin Luther would have said when he focused on, uh, on the just shall live by faith. Um, he's saying it's not a true faith if you say once saved, always saved, and live like hell. That's not true faith. Well, I've met some people that claim to be Christians and fully believe that believer. We talked about that a little bit on Sunday, didn't we? How you become callous to your heart? Why should, if God's going to forgive me and forgive me and forgive me and forgive me, why should I even bother living in a different way? That's not true faith. That's a hardened heart. And so, uh, so, but in its context, true faith, a saving and living faith, is not because of work we're saved, but because we're saved, we work. Um, James emphasizes the work. Paul does not. And probably a lot of that is because of who they're talking to. Paul is speaking to a largely, uh, is, is doing a lot more of the evangelical work, right? To the Galatians, to the, the Jews. He's doing a lot more of the evangelical work. James is speaking to a group of believers that already believe. And he's speaking differently because he's speaking the not evangelically, like not to bring them into to work, but they're saying, we need you to, you know, you need to work because you believe you work. And so it's, um, um, so anyway, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Okay, so a general epistle, because it's to the Jewish community outside of Palestine. Now, James is probably the pastor in the church of Jerusalem, and he's writing to everyone who's not in the church of Jerusalem. That's a large audience, general epistle. So it would have been written to people spread throughout the area and time. James, a servant of God... This is most likely the half-brother of Jesus. Now, some people argue that, but most likely it's the half-brother of Jesus, who was a skeptic at first, um, but then after Jesus' death, he becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. Uh, Tradition holds that he's called Old Camel Knees. Because he spends so much time in prayer that his knees become hard and calloused. 
How'd you like that title, Old Camel Knees? I don't spend that much time on my knees. Maybe I need to spend more time like James. Um, he's said to be steadfast in his face. In Galatians 2.9 by Paul, uh, he's called, he's, he's uh, one of the three pillars of the Jewish church. Um, James will refuse to deny Jesus as Lord when the Jewish authorities demand that he publicly do so. And so in AD 62, he will be put to death. When was this written? Well, sometime before AD 62 when he was killed. Um, so we're looking at the late 30s to the 60s. Long enough that the gospel to be spread, so Jesus died in the, late, in the early 30s, um, or late 29, like 29 to 30, 28 to 30, uh, 30s. Let's say 29 to 33, depending on whether it was year 6 or year 4 or whatever Jesus was born. Um, so Long enough for it to spread, but before he dies. So 30, late 30s to 60s. Somewhere in that period is when this book was written. Outline. Address and greeting. Trials and temptations. Putting the word into practice. Worldliness in the church, looking at a life from a Christian perspective, and concluding exhortations or concluding remarks. Um, James's focus on work calls him to teach about the right way to live. So that's really what the book's about. How, how do you live right? Uh, you know, he says trials can be overcome through Christ Jesus if we believe in Him. Um, one of my favorite passages. Uh, when I was younger in high school, James was very important to me. So it's got like it's almost all highlighted. Uh, <laughs> um, Um, well, let's just go through a few things. We've got a little bit of time. I don't want to. Let's see. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that this testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so they may mature and be mature and complete, not lacking for anything. That's like praying for patience, isn't it? I mean, no one likes to do that because then God gives you plenty of opportunity to be patient. Uh, but that's what he says. He says, "Take consider it joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials because it's going to give you perseverance. You're going to stand true to face it. So it'd be in fact that you enjoy that you're going to go through. That's not something we want to hear. 
That's what he says. Consider it joy. And it must complete. It, you, so you can be mature and complete. Perseverance must become complete. You must persevere so you can be mature and complete. That's almost like saying if you don't face uh, uh, trials, we'll say trials, not persecution necessarily, but trials, you won't persevere and therefore you won't mature. Something interesting in that. We see when we don't let our kids go through stuff, then they don't mature. I'm not saying let them go through everything, right? But if we don't let them mature, then they don't ever mature. Because they don't ever go through anything. And I've seen that, not just in the younger, I've seen that, you know, all the generations, right? You see those people that never matured because they never went through anything. They were protected by, I just love them and I want to protect them at all costs. I've heard that from several parents. I want to protect them at all costs. Well, by protecting them at all costs, I, I'm thinking of one person in particular. Their child never had to face the consequences of their problems, and then they never matured. And so they just kept getting in bigger and bigger trouble, and the parents kept blaming them. Uh, Bailing them out and bailing them out and bailing them out. And then they're adults and they have no idea that they've ever have to take consequence of their problems. Enabling. That's another good word. Um, you can't enable. And that's, it's, you know, it's, it's a statement. If you don't persevere, if you don't give the opportunity to persevere, you're not going to mature. That's troubling as we don't want to persevere, right? <laughs> we don't want to have to persevere. We just want to be. Uh, so, so if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who generously uh, to all in finding fault and will be given to him. Uh, acting, asking wisdom. This is um, not like saying, God, give me wisdom so I can ace my test. That's not what he's saying here. Or give me wisdom so I can do that assignment that I lied about I could do on my job interview. That's not, <laughs> that's not what he's talking about. Wisdom in this case is knowing right from wrong. And he'll talk about, and that'll be clear as you read the rest of the book. It's, it's right from wrong. It's, it's, it's not just about, um, you know, it, it's, it's wisdom and how can I know right from wrong. That's... Uh, um, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who believes is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a, a double-minded, unstable in all he does. Um. And he gives examples of living right, right? Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, the heaven of the lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. He who chooses to give us birth through the word of truth uh, that we might be kind of a first fruit for all he created. 
My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about righteous life uh, that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That's a, a, a great one, right? I took that to heart when I was in high school. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Actually, that's one of the things as a pastor that irritates me is when people come to me and ask me a question or uh, we're in a meeting and they're like, what about this? What about, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You want me to be quick to speak? I need time to think about this to pray about this, to work out the details. That's why I prefer people send me just emails or, that I can respond to later because I can like, think about it. Because it bothers me when pe- people want just like that immediate. Because for me, when I was developing in high school, I took this verse very seriously. Be slow to speak. Think out the, what you're saying. Listen. And so it was very difficult for me. And, I, and it still is that, you know, because I still get in these meetings, you know. They want me to respond right now. And I'm like, uh, I need to. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I can't, I can't ask them that right now. I need to think about that. Uh, and, uh, and so it's, it's one of those things. And people come up to me. For some reason, people love to ask me questions on Sunday, which, by the way, is the worst day of the week to ask me a question. <laughs> uh, it, but uh, um, they ask me questions on Sunday, and I was like, well, I'll give you an off-the-cuff answer, but if you want something any deeper than that, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to think about it. That's why I prefer emails, because I can think about it, Formulate an answer. Look it up in the scriptures where I can give you supporting answers. Because <laughs> that's the kind of person that I am. You know me. I like to have that supporting details. Uh, maybe that teaching moment in there too. Because that's my spiritual gift, teaching. So, uh, uh, Anyways. Anyone who does, who listens to the word... But does not do what it says is like a man who looks his faith in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but in doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself righteous, yet does not keep a tight rein on him. I love his passage on the tongue. That was one of my favorite stuff that he, he asked. He has like this whole long section on the tongue. Not only does he say you're supposed to be slow to speech, but he talks about being tight-reined on your tongue. In a world that seems like everyone... And tongue doesn't just mean speaking. It also means writing in today's society, right? Text messaging and emails and social media posts. Uh, we have to think about what our social media posts, uh, the, the ramification of the social media posts, right? And so he talks a great deal about your tongue, about favoritism, about speaking uh, in judgment, 
Um, where does it? It's there. It is three verse five. One of my favorite passages in James. Absolute favorites. Even though half the book is well, more than half the book is highlighted. Absolute favorites right here. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes a great boast. Consider what a great forest fire is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world, a rest of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, set the whole course of his life on fire, and yet itself is off, on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who we have been made in God who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praises and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree, fig tree bear olives or a grape, uh, grapevine bear figs? Whether can salt spring produce water? What a beautiful passage. The taming of the tongue. You can't tame the tongue. You know the only way to protect your tongue is to protect the mind, be tra- renewed by the transforming of your mind, as Paul says, so that because what goes in your mind is going to come out your mouth. So if you have, so if you have problems with what's coming out of your mouth, a relentlessly cursing your brothers, and it doesn't talk about cussing here. That's not what it's talking about. Cursing your brothers, being hateful and filled with anger or speech, or putting each other down, judgment, judging. Uh, bitterness, it's because of what's going in. And it's going to come out. And it's a small, you can't, can't, you can't, tra- you can't tame your tongue. You have to tame with the renewing of your mind. And that's why he'll go on and talk about wisdom. Because it's, the tongue can't be tamed. So he's going to talk about wisdom following that. It's the wisdom um, He'll say, who is wise among you? Let him show it by his good life, by the deeds that his humility comes from wisdom. Remember what wisdom was, right from wrong, the transforming of the mind. But if you harbor any bitterness and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil, for whenever you have envy and selfish ambitions, there you find disorder and evil practices. But wisdom comes from heaven, is, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, consider, uh, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who show in peace raised a harvest of righteousness. Wow. And how do we become peacemakers? Well, it continues on, right? What causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from the desires and the battles within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, and you cannot get have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have 
uh, because you do not ask God. When, when you ask, you do not receive because you are asked with the wrong motives that you may spend with what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the, the spirit he cannot live in envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself then to God and resist the devil And, the, and he will flee from you. Will flee from you. Not he might flee from you. Not he could flee from you. He will if we resist the devil. Not just resist the devil, but submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then... We won't be quarrelsome and argumentative. And then we'll have wisdom. And then we'll have a tongue that is because we've resisted the devil. We've sought God and resisted the devil. What a beautiful passage. I love James. Vor verse 10. Let me flip over there so I can make sure I find the right one, what we're talking about. Uh, there, yep, yep. Humble yourself before God, and He will lift you up. Um, but that's and, and that's great. That goes along with part of what it means to submit yourself to God. It means we have to humble ourselves. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and be purified in hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before God, before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Um, let's go back a little bit to those uh, before I got off on the tongue passage um, let's go to chapter 14 there's a wonderful passage what uh, in chapter 2 what good is it my brothers if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds can such a faith save him that person that says well I love God but I'm good not doing anything for him I'm, or I'm spiritual I'm just a spiritual person can that faith save him because you have no deeds of course we've seen too many people that claim to be Christians claim to have faith, but their deeds deny the fact that they have faith. Their fruits, that's right. Fruits deny that they have faith. But he says, here he says, he talks about if you have a brother or sister that's without clothes and you don't f clothe them, you don't feed them. Say, I go and wish you warm 
and well-fed but doesn't do nothing. That's one of the reasons why we, we have that table over there that keeps getting emptied off. It's because when people, we, you know, we can't afford to do everything for everybody. We can't, I mean, there's, but we can help out a little bit. You know, we have tents that if someone comes and says, I have no house. Well, I can't put you up in a house. The market, our church doesn't make that much money. But I can give you a tent. You know, we've helped people find their deposit money before, and you know, and stuff like that, because we help when we can. I wish the church had more money. I really do. I wish we could help everybody, but we just can't realistically. And some people are just users. Um, and that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about brother or sister. When it says brother or sister, it's actually talking about someone who's in the faith, not just someone who wants to use the church as the way not to live their life. There's other passages in the scriptures that talk about if you don't work, you don't eat. Um, because the reality is, that's how it works. But um, he says, but show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You know, the, the person that uh, brags about their faith, It's the person that lives out their faith that we need to be looking towards. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's not enough. Oh, thank you. All right. Um, boasting about tomorrow, prayer. All right. So um, next week we'll pick up with Peter. All right. Any questions about James? Or Hebrews. All right. Let's pray and be dismissed. Father God, we thank you for this time just to gather and worship you, Lord. We pray that uh, you just continue to, to help us firm a firm, a firm foundation as we seek to study you and so that our, our personal studies go deeper and go straight because we want to stay true to the, your word. We want to stay true to your path. Lord, bless us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.